0: We're going back to the beginning, episode one in our review of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. So let's talk about it. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. And today we are going back to episode one. We kind of did a mid-season review to kick this thing off and then decided, you know, we should probably look at all these episodes individually. So we're starting back at one and then we'll be going forward, getting caught up to where they are now currently, I think going into episode six. So that's what we're doing today. Before we dive in, please just take a second to like, subscribe, follow us on social media, jump on the Discord. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, share this Mm -hmm. with a friend if you think it'd be beneficial to them we would certainly appreciate it so yep that's all we got to say to get this show rolling
1: (laughs) yeah when we're listening to him I I noticed how it's one of those um well the story the all the podcasts are laid out like a movie where they kind of start at the beginning and then like tread backwards to like the point you know what started it all you know like a like a psychological thriller movie is um so it's kind of like you're hearing it all and you're wondering well how did they get here and you have to wait to go more toward the beginning of the story again so it's one of those things like a really (laughs) antsy to like find out more and more details and
0: number one kind of starts with the show open and it's 2014 and mark driscoll has resigned from the church is the way it opens and then it like takes you back to kind of see how did we get to this end point sort of a thing mm-hmm. so I mean it's cool as the way you see a lot of movies being done so it's
1: it makes you have lots of questions it's not yeah. like a movie how it starts at the beginning and you can like figure out how things are gonna end it's just I like how they're doing it though
0: yeah it's really good so in this episode the host uh, Mark Cosper he does make the case for the purpose of this podcast but he doesn't do it until the end of the episode So you'll kind of go through the full hour episode or whatever. I think it winds up being like 40 minutes of actual episode. And then there's Mm -hmm. some talking at the end of it, sort of interviewing some people outside of the podcast interview. Um, But to me, when I listen to this, it seems to contradict um, most of the information that's sort of contained in the episode. Like most of the episode and the series really seems to be pointing a finger at Mark Driscoll, Mm -hmm. who obviously the head of the. He's the lead pastor, head of the church, and all that. But, you know, so they're pointing their finger at Mark Driscoll as the reason for the fall of this church. But to me, when I listen to this, I don't think that's the case. Uh, he certainly is at fault for sure. But I feel like there's a lot more to the story. And you may ultimately agree or disagree mm-hmm. when you get done watching this show. And um, we'd love to hear what your disagreements are. But currently, mm-hmm. that's the way I feel having listened to basically five episodes at this point. So yeah. um, the thing is, we don't want to go into this, you know, entire episode just full of spoilers in case you haven't listened to the show yet. We don't want to do that. So we're going to try to avoid all the spoilers. Oh, yeah.
1: And I think if we, you know, there's so much information in these episodes, even if we wanted, you know, to say something, it's not going to spoil it. We can give away a lot of details. And, and like you were saying, the, how they're pointing the finger at Mark and everybody who's been on the, um, that they interviewed, nobody has come up and said anything like, Oh, I was partly at fault for this or that everybody's the victim. I see this victim mentality and everybody, nobody's taken any little bit of blame for the fall. And that's, mm, I don't know. I don't yeah, like that. We're
0: definitely going to get into that um, a lot as far as where we think blame should be put, I guess a little bit as these episodes unfold, Mm -hmm. they're done very well. They're so packed full of good information. We could, it would take us an hour to dissect the hour episode, Mm -hmm. probably longer, but um, rather than sort of giving out a bunch of spoilers, we just wanted to focus on a few items in the episode that really jumped out to us that we think you should be aware of and have maybe a different mindset than what's sort of being portrayed through the episode. So, And the first thing that we wanted to talk about was just sort of Mark Driscoll and this Mars Hill church as a whole, because Nikki, you had a lot more issues with this than I did as far as Mark Driscoll and his personality type and Mm -hmm. these sorts of things. So if you wanted to just sort of address that.
1: Yeah, just his, is the way that he does his sermons, is that what you mean? Like that was my main problem. Like there's certain things that would be better suited in a small group setting with men, you know, just with men, and maybe his wife could have addressed the women on the women issues. It was just, he just seemed very um, bent on guilting people and shaming people into following Christ. And I, when I read the Bible, like, that's not, that's just not the way, um, that Jesus always addressed people. He was more, um, I don't know, his character was just more intact, obviously, as Jesus, but I don't know. You can't like tell people how how to follow Christ in an unchrist like way. Like don't be it was kind of like listening to Satan accuse the brethren in a way. You know what I mean? Like the anger and the frustration. It's like, where's the fruit of the spirit? In the way you're addressing the church,
0: yeah, Nikki definitely had a lot more issues. I've mentioned this in the previous episode. The way he preached and stuff, it works for me. Not saying that that's the right way to preach. Right. Um, I, I understand that there was a lot of his mannerisms and He's the way crude. that he talked <laughs> that you probably should not do from a pulpit. Right. Um, again, some of that stuff is probably better suited for smaller. And you know, environment. Well, he at least like would
1: advise to have the children out of the room. I don't know how many of his sermons he had to say that, though. But I think kids would be terrified to be in his sermons if he's screaming and yelling and they're listening to him yell at their dad. Pretty much, it was addressed at men a lot. Like,
0: yeah. So there the definitely is think? some <laughs> things about the way he preached and all that that ruffled feathers. Um, the second thing that I wanted to mention before we go into this is. In the episode, they point out that there is 21 former pastors of Mars Hill that wrote an 11-page letter sort of outlining these, like, alleged abuses and different things like that, that Mark Driscoll, you know, was sort of the perpetrator of, and he was also removed from the church planning organization that they founded called Acts 29, and then it even goes on later to have John MacArthur, who we all love, you know. Mm and hold up in high esteem. That speaks out against Mark Driscoll. So I'm not gonna say with any kind of certainty that like these people are all wrong. And I just wanna make it clear that I'm on their side of the 21 pastors, John MacArthur and all these other organizations. I don't think they're all wrong in Driscoll's right. Um, I tend to agree with the majority here. There's a reason why all these men of God are speaking out. I just want to say that because I feel like I'm so often defending Mark Driscoll in this episode. (laughs) And I just want to say that like I'm defending him because I think that some of this stuff is being misrepresented, but I'm not defending him in the fact that I think he was right and everybody else was wrong. I'm not going that far. Because someone
1: can be at fault and take all the blame, but other people played a part in that. We're all the body of Christ. And if one falls, we're supposed to lift them up. We don't let them fall, because if you let any part of the body of Christ suffer, it's going to have a trickle effect. So you're really all to blame.
0: Yeah, they definitely are. So just want to make those couple of points up front um, as we start diving into these episodes, because again, we don't want to be sounding like we're just Driscoll apologists mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, but the first point that I wanted to address, and there are a lot, This these episodes are um, very very heavy on information. Mm-hmm. But the first one I wanted to get into, and it was the first big point that jumped out to me, they're interviewing somebody, and I can't remember his name right off the top of my head. Um, but he goes on to say, there's a reason 10,000 plus people engaged there. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why it ultimately imploded. Mm-hmm. He says, I know a lot of people that are now not pastors that have left the faith as a result of what happened. And then he later goes on to say, there were wounds so deep that it drove people um, from the church or from the faith altogether, mm-hmm. and I, this jumped out to me because I was like, "If you, if your faith is rattled to the point where you no longer believe in God because of the actions of one man, I don't think you had faith in Christ to begin with. I think you were idolizing a man."
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so, I want to make that point because they they make the point in this episode that like, man, Driscoll was so heavy handed, he was so whatever it was. That he drove people from the faith, and yeah. I don't think that's true. I think he drove them from idolizing him, yeah. and they wrapped their faith in Driscoll, which yeah. means they didn't really have faith in, to begin exactly. with. Exactly,
1: they looked to him, and then when he disappointed, it's like everything maybe that he preached before they didn't, they couldn't. If they couldn't accept him, then they have to like discard everything he ever preached. So it's like if he preached the truth, then you don't believe that truth anymore. Which he did preach some truth, a lot of good truth we need to hear. It was just his delivery.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a huge issue with mega church. You know, this mega church thing that we're dealing with in this country, where I don't think it's uncommon for a lot of people to be wrapped up in what church they go to and the pastor that they're is leading their church because they become famous in this country. Mm-hmm. So then you see one of them fall, and these people like, well, I don't, I don't have faith anymore, or like, oh, the pastor was really rough and like treated me poorly, so I don't have faith That's anymore. That's just
1: a cop out. You're blaming them that you fell away, and yeah, I agree with what you said. Their faith was standing on the wrong man.
0: Yeah. So in this respect, Driscoll did not drive anybody away from the faith. Uh, they didn't have faith in the, in the first place, in my opinion. And then the second one, he said people. Yeah that were pastors are now not pastors. And I think this is another issue that we deal <laughs> with in the American church that I think a lot of people see being a pastor is like a cool leadership position mm-hmm. and an easy to get into leadership position. You know, you don't have to be the CEO of a corporation to be a pastor. So I think a lot of people see it as like a chance to be on stage, leading groups, leading men, mm-hmm. you know, inspiring people. And then you get into a tough situation and you're like I guess this pastor yeah. thing is cut out for me, but a pastor is a calling. Yeah. Like you should not be there. If one man's sort of poor behavior can drive you away from this job of a pastor, then you should have never been a pastor in the first place, in yeah. my opinion.
1: Maybe this all happened just to get people step back and, you know, assess where their faith was. And, you know, I mean, I know God will use it all um, really good. I know he's using it in individual people's lives who went there. I mean, it's probably just a good example of what not to do in a church and how leadership should really be run and just encouraging people to make sure, you know, we know he's getting really famous. Make sure your eyes are on Jesus and not on this man. Like, I don't know. It's like we need more <laughs> talk about that. that,
0: Again, I think goes to what we talked, that we're going to get into a lot more throughout this show of like the problems with that church outside of Mark Driscoll um, and church culture as a whole. So uh, the second point that I wanted to make though, kind of in this fake news era that we live in, and I know everybody's Mm kind of like, you know, they hear fake news and you either love it or you hate it, but I think if it's taught us anything in this era that we live in, that it's not just like the stories that you hear or you don't hear that are fake news, but I think it's the bias of those that are telling the story that you mm-hmm. have to be leery of. Yep. And we made this point before about what I think is Christianity today's sort of liberal bias. Yeah. And in this episode, there are two women specifically that are mentioned, and they're mentioned as early critics of Mark Driscoll. And the first woman that they mention, somebody tosses out, her name is Rachel Held Evans, and they kind of say, like, she gained her fame through crit- criticizing Driscoll. And then the host, Mark mm-hmm. Cosper, almost defends her, and he's like, nah, she had a lot of followers based on her critiques of biblical womanhood and these mm-hmm. sorts of things. Well, just a quick Google search of Rachel Held Evans, and you can see that she's pretty liberal. I mean, the first article that pops up with her name on it is all about how we're going to be apologizing to the LGBTQ community for the way that the church has treated them and God loves them just the way, you know, super um, LGBT sympathetic. And anybody who
1: interviews people, they research, like they knew where she stood on issues ahead of time. You don't just have somebody on your show and not know their background and the types of things that they post and where they well, stand. Well, she wasn't
0: interviewed on the show specifically, but she was mentioned as somebody that sort of started this firestorm of criticism against Driscoll. And mm-hmm. you're like, okay, but she was like super, you know, LGBT friendly, apparently very progressive. So yeah, somebody who's preaching a message of godly masculinity and all, you know, of the godly family <laughs> structure it would make sense that she would be somebody that would have a critique of that. And they never mention what her views of biblical womanhood are just that she didn't like Driscoll's idea. So it's not like, well, Driscoll was wrong here and let me show you. They just go, ah, she critiqued his idea of biblical womanhood. But what was that? You know, they never (laughs) really go into it. And that's a running theme in this show.
1: They sort of toss
0: out these ideas of like, ah, you know, Driscoll preached on this godly masculinity. They don't
1: have answers for things. Yeah, there's no verses or,
0: hey, he was right or he was wrong. No scripture,
1: which is odd. Like, I guess I'm not like super familiar with Christianity today until this, but yeah, I noticed that after listening to several episodes. I think I've heard all of them so far, but yeah, yeah, they don't use any scripture
0: no. And so we'll have both we'll have that Rachel Held Evans article, at least one of them linked in the show notes. And then the second lady they mention, her name is Kate Shellnut, and she's actually an editor for Christianity Today. And we'll have another article from her linked. She seems to be at least sympathetic to progressive sort of Christianity or progressive thought. The article that I have listed for her is pretty shocking i mean you'll see it on the screen if you're watching on facebook or youtube or whatever but yeah so i think in the fake news era you have to take into consideration who is doing the reporting and what their biases are Mm. and i just want to make that known because like i said it would make sense that somebody that's lgbt you know sympathetic or critical race theory simp or Mm -hmm. sympathetic i can't get that word out or like you know a strong feminist that they would have an issue with this message that Mark Driscoll is preaching. So that makes sense to me. And the thing is, is if Mark Driscoll is right in what he's preaching and you're uncomfortable with it, that's a you problem. Mm -hmm.
1: That's not a him problem. It's not a
0: God problem. It's a you problem. So just want to make that point clear because, you know, you want to be aware of who's doing the reporting. Mm -hmm. So, and then the third part and probably the biggest sort of I guess, bombshell, I guess, if you want to call it that, that was reported in this episode. It comes from an interview that Mark Driscoll does with the pastor of Hillsong, uh, Brian Houston, I believe is his name. And he says that Mark Driscoll says him and his wife both got a word from God basically on the same Mm -hmm. night. And they were told what they believed by God was to resign from the church. And, this was made even more kind of shocking and starting or startling because it was the night before they were supposed to go and meet back with the board on sort of like a reconciliation process. So they were getting ready to go meet with the church that night. They hear God say, just resign from the church. You're freed. And this is sort of presented in a way that like, at least the way I understood how they were presenting that, like Mark is a little bit loony, as opposed to what the church was going to do to him, because they even bring a youth pastor on who's like, uh, he's pulling the whole God told me card, you know, and that's kind of like, uh, that's pretty weak to try and do that. But Mm -hmm. what stood out to me about this is they make it seem really outlandish. But throughout this show, Mark Driscoll has mentioned a few times that he's heard God speak to him. And they're not always like these outlandish things. And some of them seem to have been proven true. I don't know. I didn't
1: like, because I know before he, him and his wife had used the phrase, you've, God has released you, like from this duty of uh, whatever it was, a leadership or some role in the church. And like, I feel like, is that just a phrase? Like, is that biblical? God releasing you from uh, anything involving the church? Like, why would God release you when he called you?
0: Yeah, I don't know. And I don't know that that's necessarily biblical. And what they say, um, and again, one of the criticisms that they bring up during this is Driscoll says God released him because they've laid a trap for you. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh, man, what are you talking about? They laid a trap for for him. And the case that Driscoll sort of lays out is that basically people wanted to take the church away from him and stuff like that. And again, he sort of presented as like this almost like a conspiracy theorist. And what stuck out to me is he goes on in that episode. I don't know if it was before or after that, but he mentions that there were ultimately 67 elders in charge of Mars Hill, plus 15 different churches, you know, each with their own pastors. Mm -hmm. And during his time there, as they were kind of building up towards this sort of, you know, ultimate resignation and stuff, a lot of these churches were asking to separate from Mars Hill. They wanted to go out on their own. Again, 67 elders. And to me, it seems less believable that you've got 67 elders, 15 different pastors, and they're all the most like faithful, humble servants on the planet. When at that time, Mark Driscoll was maybe the most famous pastor in the country. Um, huge internet following, obviously in charge of a massive church. So to me, like, it doesn't seem completely outlandish that there would be people around him that wanted to maybe take some of that from him or that's like true. these churches that you plant and you help grow and cultivate. And then once they actually get big enough, they're like, ah, we're going to go out on our own now. And, you know, Mark's sitting there going, no, dude, like that's not your church. That's my church mm-hmm. that we helped you grow.
1: Right. You know, t- so to me Cause they're painting him to be like a paranoid. Yeah. He's um, paranoid. Someone and, set a trap for you, which, I mean, I don't even know if that was from the Lord. I feel like if someone set a trap, but God, God's will and plan is for Mark to still be the pastor of the church, then nothing's going to come against that church. Because yeah. if God ordained it, God can stop that trap. You know, they can fall into their own trap then and keep Mark as, as the pastor.
0: Yeah, so I mean, so again, I don't know if that's obviously... If God told him that or he didn't. I don't know. I wasn't there. But the reason that I feel this way about the eldership, and maybe there are people there that want to lay a trap, is I think the eldership, just from the episodes I've listened, is either super toxic or just really weak. Mm-hmm. Because they go on in this after they talk about the he laid a trap for me and all these sorts of things. They bring on an interview, a guy named Tim Smith, who's interviewed in a lot of the episodes. He was on staff at Mars Hill for 16 years. He was the worship pastor. Mm. And after, you know, all the letters have been submitted, the accusations, all these sorts of things, Mark Driscoll had gone through a six, I think it was like a six-week reconciliation sort of process that he was undergoing. So this has been a long months in the making. Mm. A lot of things have been brought to light. They say that they were stunned by the resi- resignation because they weren't going to fire him. So after all these issues that they say Mark Driscoll yeah. brought into their lives, all the If the it was that bad,
1: why wouldn't they have fired him?
0: Yeah, the eldership was still like, that's our guy. Like
1: We're going to reconcile him. But they know his character. It's like, if he was that bad, you know, as they're painting it out to be. I wouldn't want him as my pastor. Like, if you're just listening to them and believing everything they say, then yeah, you wouldn't. So it just seems kind of odd that they say we were going to reconcile. And you knew, yeah. but I think if they knew him, they knew that he was going to back out. They maybe knew he was going to pull the God told me card. I try to look at both sides. Like, if it's true, then this is what they were thinking, and they knew he was going to respond that way.
0: Yeah, I just I think that they were, they were probably equally, as uh, I guess corrupt and abusive as he was. I would assume that's the the feeling I Maybe, get because I mean, if
1: you're under him, you're gonna end up being like him if you held right, on for if that he has long. All
0: these issues that you're aware of, and you're still like, well, we can't fire him. Like he's our guy. But then he yeah. also goes on to say, after they decide or they realize he's walked away from the church, he says it only took a one single two to three hour meeting before they knew Mars Hills was done as a church.
1: All those so you're 15 sitting churches. there,
0: 67 elders, 15 pastors of 15 different churches. And in a two hour meeting, they go, without Mark Driscoll, we're completely done as Didn't a church. Didn't they
1: want to go off on their own anyway? Insane. Like, Why?
0: Was there no... So to me, this speaks to... Just the leadership yeah. that was around Mark Driscoll
1: yeah.
0: was not, in, and I don't think in any way, sort of helping that situation. It's such a
1: mystery. It really so is. I'm excited <laughs> to
0: see how it all plays out as this podcast goes on. But those were sort of the big points that we we took away from this episode. And we just wanted you to kind of know the way that we listen to them because I don't feel like it's always presented that way by Christianity today. So right as we get ready to wrap this episode up, honey, is there any last words that you have?
1: I don't know. I would just take away from this. Like anytime you hear one side of a story, you agree with them. And I should have pulled up. I think it might be a proverb. Like you hear um, the story, but then you hear the other side of it. And you're like, oh, that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Or that person did play a part. I don't know. I sh- maybe we could post that. Yeah. We if that, we can find that like verse, it'll be
0: down in the show notes. And if you're on YouTube or Facebook, you'll see it on the screen. But... Uh, I just want to say before we end this, go give this show a listen if you haven't yet, if you're just sort of on the fence or you haven't found the time. They're wonderful podcasts, I think, as far as the way they're produced and mm-hmm. just the amount of information that's contained in them. They're very good.
1: It's just a shame that it's you can tell it's a bias.
0: And that's our, again,
1: maybe. we're biased
0: too. You know, we have our own biases, well, so for maybe Christianity our bias today. is wrong. And we want to hear from you guys, <laughs> you know, because that would just be my warning you know, make sure that you're aware of who is reporting to you and how I think they sort of have a progressive mindset at Christianity today. A lot of the contributors seem fairly liberal. Um, So just be cautious. Listen with sort of a a cautious ear and then see how this all plays out because it's been enjoyable so far. So that's (laughs) all we got for you guys. Love you. God bless.